This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another one. Final show of the week. Hope you guys have enjoyed everything so far this week. We've got plenty to talk about today as we've had for uh, for this whole week now and should have going forward now that the Vikings are going, now that there's other news, stuff like that. Um, today's show, Bob Timmons outdoors writer and editor for the Star Tribune will join me in a little while to talk about some interesting recent stories and just the impact of climate change and how that is impacting some of what is going on this summer in terms of outdoors activities, whether it's fishing, whether it's, you know, the perception or the reality of smoke in the air from wildfires in Canada. A lot of impact this summer from uh, from, you know, from just, just the environment and what's around us. And Bob and I will talk about some of those issues that have been written about recently in the Star Tribune. Um, big Gophers hockey news that we'll get to at the end of the show. Got some twins thoughts here in a minute. First, though, what did I miss? A lot of football here <clears throat> in the beginning. And I think we got to start with P.J. Fleck and the Gophers. Fleck uh, was at uh, Big Ten Media Day on Thursday, had a chance to... Yeah, be asked about a critical report earlier this week in front office sports. A lot of uh, former players, unnamed players, but a lot of former players critical of how he runs the team, calling it a cult-like environment. Um, you know, some various various things that were that were described in it, including this idea of a fleck bank. Um, um, just kind of reading from Randy Johnson's story, that I think he has the best. Uh, the best description of the Fleck Bank, uh, so kind of a, a in which players could could earn coins, quote unquote, to offset positive drug tests and other violations of team rules. There was a lot of other, you know, kind of softer allegations in the story. You know, I read it the other day. I didn't know quite what to make of it. It, it you know, I, I think we need to take anything that players are saying seriously. I just couldn't decide in my own head if this is just kind of. Everything that happens in a program, if this is something specific to Fleck, how you know how serious this was, things like that. I'm going to have Randy Johnson on early next week, um, Star Tribune uh, Gophers beat writer, to talk more about it to get his perspective. But I thought it was important now, since it was fresh, to play some of what Fleck said Thursday from Big Ten Media Day down in Indianapolis. So here is Fleck on the idea of the Fleck Bank and other. Uh, other uh, allegations in the story. Yeah, first of all, uh, the Fleck Bank, uh, mostly used in 2017 and 18, was an analogy in a team meeting, talking about the more you invest into a program, the better experience you're going to get out of it. And as a head football coach, when you come in and you don't know anybody, right, the guys that do really good things are going to have a really good experience. If you're not doing all the right things, you're probably not going to have a great experience. There was no currency ever exchanged. There was no coins that ever existed. It was an analogy simply to explain investment for life, a life lesson of investment, simply that. No one ever got out of any type of uh, punishment for that. And just so everybody knows, in punishing our football team, that word punishing, in fact, our athletic department has taken over our disciplinary type actions. Uh, We do not use physical activity to discipline our players at the University of Minnesota. And we have never done that. Our players do things like they wake up early and clean the weight room. And whatever you did, you watch a video on that. If you were late to class, you watch a video on tardiness. You then write your professor a letter. Those are the disciplines we actually have within our program. 
that our athletic department changed their policies and made sure that no physical activity of any sport could be used as punishment based on what we created as a football team. Um, these allegations are baseless. Listen, I don't know if any you know anything more will come of this. I think it's notable that a lot of other players have come to his defense. That he seems pretty steadfast in you know his his confidence in what he's doing, and that he's at the, he seems to kind of have the full support of athletic director Mark Coyle through all of this as well. Um, but it just, it just it does bear watching. It does bear watching going forward. This is you know this is potentially serious, and at least stuff that you know could could spark some change within the program and maybe already has. And, you know, things like this, of course, gain more traction and attention in the wake of what happened and is happening at Northwestern, which was also a big talker down at Big Ten Media Day. So I just wanted to make sure we're, we're covering those bases. We'll talk more about that next week with Randy Johnson, give some more context and perspective. Now, one thing that is not in doubt, switching to NFL coaches, Sean Payton, not a fan of how things went in Denver last year. My goodness, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but he did a pretty big interview with USA Today talking about kind of everything he's trying to clean up in Denver, the things that went wrong last year under first year and only year head coach Nathaniel Hackett. He did not uh, did not pull any punches talking about the kind of the disaster that was last season at one point calling it it might have been one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. That's how bad it was. Ouch! Wow. That uh, that from that from Peyton on probably the whole thing. But you know, Hackett is kind of the top down. He was the head coach last season when they went five and twelve when Russell Wilson struggled so much after they acquired him and signed him to a huge extension. Um, it, that's interesting. I, I just don't think you see. A lot of this, um, a lot of criticism, this this much criticism of another head coach in the NFL, um, for, for, you know, for coming from someone else. I, I don't think he cares, but yeah, the specific criticism was interesting. And he's talking about kind of all the people that were allowed into the building with Russell Wilson. I thought this was interesting too. He had, you know he had a lot of people in you know, in the facility. He said that wasn't his fault. Peyton saying about Russell Wilson that was the parents who allowed it. That's not an incrimination on him, but an incrimination on the head coach, the GM, that was George Payton, who used to be with the Vikings, the president, Damani Leach, and everybody else who watched it happen. Now, a quarterback having an office and a place to watch film is normal, but all those things get magnified when you're losing. And all that other stuff, I've never heard of it. We're not doing that. Basically, he said, anything we did last year, we're going to do the opposite this year. I mean, it's just uh, go read it. I mean, I've covered probably most of the highlights of the things Peyton said, but man, not setting up for any uh, any love lost between the Broncos and the Jets this season because uh, Hackett now with the Jets and 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 uh, and, and uh, Peyton took another shot at the Jets, whether this was intentional or not. Talking about kind of all the the pomp and circumstance with Denver last season, he said, doesn't happen often where an NFL team organization gets embarrassed, and that happened here. Part of it is their fault their own fault relative to spending so much expletive time trying to win the offseason, the PR, the pomp and circumstance, marching people around, all this stuff. We're not doing any of that. The Jets did that this year. You watch. Hard knocks. All of it. I can see it coming. Yeah, this is uh, this is going to get interesting between these two teams at some point, I have to imagine, but especially Sean Payton speaking his mind. Hackett, like I said, now the offensive coordinator with the Jets where Aaron Rodgers is. 
October 8th, Broncos and Jets. Um, you might want to watch that game. You might want to watch how that all unfolds because that will be interesting to say the least. Now, speaking of the Jets, Rodgers took a pay cut, sounds like, by, by a fair amount, $35 million in guaranteed money he's giving up. He's still got two years, $75 million fully guaranteed, but gave up $35 million so the Jets can try to get more players this season. One of those players could be Dalvin Cook. Sounds like Dalvin Cook is meeting with the Jets, could join them. So that, another interesting piece to this whole offseason puzzle, if you're kind of following the Aaron Rodgers saga, following where this might land. Dalvin Cook potentially winding up with the Jets gives you one more reason, if you are a Vikings fan, to pay attention to what is happening in New York, in addition, of course, to the addition of Aaron Rodgers. Okay, I think we're done with NFL head coaching, college head coaching stuff. Let's switch to the Twins for just a minute here. They were off on Thursday. Trade deadline still a big subject of discussion. That coming up here in just a few days. What are they going to do? What might they do? And they did, they did make that trade the other day that we talked about, swapping some relief pitchers with the, the Marlins. We'll see if that helps at all. But the bigger thing that caught my eye is this annual idea of addition already coming from within and when teams are are reluctant to maybe make a big splash in a trade a trade deadline or things like that they they often will point to players that are injured or underperforming and if those players start performing better or come back from injury it's almost like you added someone via a trade and um so that that that's that's the narrative right now with the twins talking specifically here about um Jorge Polanco and Royce Lewis. Polanco uh, expected back very soon. He's going to play a lot of third base for them. Um, and Royce Lewis trying to come back from that oblique injury. He should be back maybe in a couple of weeks. Derek Falvey saying, you obviously want to find ways to upgrade our team. But as we look at our group, you think about the bench that we have, Polanco and Lewis coming back and who that might squeeze off. There's always ways you're trying to augment the roster, but there aren't. But there are really good guys that have been complimentary players for us this year and have really stepped up and played well. Um, Kyle Farmer had the best quote on this, though. Royce and Polanco are guys that teams trade for to boost their offense, and we already have them. Yes, you certainly do. You also had them for at least stretches of the first half of the season, the pre-All-Star break part of the season where your offense was terrible. And if you are counting on scoring almost six runs a game, as they have been since the post, uh, since the All-Star break, if you are counting on that sustaining for the rest of the season, you are counting on batting average on balls in play, staying where it is, and still at 354 right now. That is an unbelievable number. That is more than 50 points higher than the Major League average. Um, that's almost It's more than 60 points higher than it was for the Twins at the start of the year in the, in the first half of the season. They're still striking out at an alarming rate, even more than they did before the All-Star break. They are due for a certain offensive reckoning. I think they are taking a better approach. I think they are having better at-bats. I think they are hitting the ball hard. I just don't think this is sustainable. Some of those hard-hit balls that are coming in clutch situations are going to find gloves at a certain point, and that offense is going to cool down. So when that happens, wouldn't you maybe like to have one or two more bats? I don't know. I think I would, even if I knew that a couple guys that are pretty good hitters might be coming back pretty soon. MGM Wine & Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. 
With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. I've got Bob Timmons with me today. Bob, outdoor writer and editor here at the Star Tribune and some interesting stuff to uh, to get into here Bob as we deal with this hot summer hot and smoky summer that a lot of us at least are experiencing in the metro area um you you know you and your team have been kind of working on kind of various stories of impact and then one thing that that kind of caught my eye we're going to get into two things but one thing off the bat that that kind of caught my eye Bob was just the idea of how is how is you know the wildfire smoke that a lot of us have experienced here and are seeing a lot of, and we see the air quality alerts, things like that? How is that impacting outdoors, you know, especially outfitters up north and, and elsewhere in the state? How how is that impacting the summer, really? Yeah, it's good to be with you, Ramball. Um, yeah, we get no meta, you know, no pun intended, but these sort of swirling, <laughs> swirling stories yeah. going on. Um, yeah, it's interesting in reporting, um, you know. I would say certainly in the recent week to two weeks, we haven't had this, even though we've had this extreme heat, we haven't had in the, in the Metro um, while we've had raised air quality alerts, we haven't had um, say those super smoggy days, uh, hazy days that we were getting like in late June and parts of, you know, parts of earlier in July, but it's still a, was a good topic to explore. A lot of what we were experiencing down here, uh, didn't mean that the smoke um, and even the air quality um, was the same, say, in parts of uh, East Central Minnesota or even, you know, Northern Minnesota, and especially areas that we think a lot about in Northern Minnesota, um, around the North Shore and places we camp, you know, Superior National Forest, Boundary Waters. And so, um, yeah, I and Tony Tony Kennedy, one of my outdoors colleagues, uh, talked to some outfitters, talked to some resort resort owners, fishing guides. And, um, you know, while there've been a lot of questions, a lot of people calling Mike, uh, inquiring about, Hey, what's it like out there? You know, I'm looking out my window and it's horrible here or, you know, the the air quality's, uh, is poor elevated. Um, you know, what's it like up there? And, uh, and it's been very different for a lot of science reasons, a lot of location, a lot of things to do with the jet stream and the way it moves the smoke down from Canada. And so it is going to be an ongoing issue, but um, many of the outfitters we talked to um, and some of the, again, fishing guides and some resort owners said it's largely been a non-issue for them in Northern, especially Northern Minnesota. Um, even there's been some people who ended up canceling camping trips, uh, Sawbill Outfitters, uh, Claire and Dan Shirley run that outfit and have for years with their family. Um, they've, you know, they said their campgrounds is kind of as vacant as it's been in recent summers. And they, and a lot of it has to do with campers saying, you know what, you know, they're bailing, uh, ahead of time. And sometimes it's even heat related. People maybe have the idea that the heat's intense up there if it's down here. So, um, it's been sort of variable in that regard. Um, you know, even fishing guides we talked to uh, around smoke said it's largely uh, been a non-issue. But given the sort of fluid nature, right, Mike, of these yeah. wildfires, oh, yeah. they seem like they're going to burn without end. And there's, uh, you know, just raging up there, honestly, hundreds of wildfires. Um, 
especially in uh, Saskatchewan, Alberta, British Columbia, um, we could be we could be right back here talking about this in a month of really in, maybe the most intense it's been. Who knows? Um, but anyway, for now, things seem seem uh, seem more intense, definitely in the Twin Cities when we get some of these smoky days uh, than they are in other parts of Minnesota. And again, that has a lot to do with where the smoke's coming from, how winds push it out of the north and, you know, it settles in a hot, urban, dense area like the Twin Cities. So, And that, yeah. seem, that seems counterintuitive. I think that's probably why people are calling because they're like, if, I go, if I'm going north, that's closer to where the fires yeah. are. Why exactly. is it worse here than there? Yeah. You know, the first thing I'd say is, um, again, back to those the combination of location science, <laughs> the, yeah. you know, the way weather works in addition to these bands of smoke, I would encourage people just to get on, um, get online, uh, you know, the New York Times, um, the National Oceanic uh, Agency um, administration does a great job of updating um, smoke certainly smoke maps where the smoke is moving what's light what's moderate as well as our own minnesota pollution control agency with their air alerts and you can get on there and see these maps in real time and be and get an idea of like oh whoa the smoke is really intense in border country but it's it's light you know in other parts of the state um and that will just help maybe inform you like i said no the national oceanic and atmospheric administration does a really good job <laughs> with weather in general but that's a good a good resource and and just to kind of stay stay up to date on what things are. Before we move to the impact on fishing and just the, the heat more than anything on, on fishing and elevated um, water temperatures, uh, just something in the in the smoke piece caught my eye. It was just about, you know, the kind of the, the urban kind of heat trap that we kind of fall into. And I feel like that's not so much impacted, you know, camping or, you know, in the, in the Twin Cities area, but I think it's certainly impacted like recreational outdoor, you know, biking, cycling, you know, health, you know, running, uh, hiking, things like that. Like I've, I've changed my routine. Sometimes I haven't been able to do everything that I would normally do because of, because of how bad it's been here at times or because of the warnings of the heat, but also the smoke. And I, I think that's kind of an interesting element of this summer that I don't, I hope it's not the new normal, but it's definitely the normal this summer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've had friends, um, I have a friend who's, who, uh, has asthma and um, heavy cyclists. And he's got to really be mindful of when he's going out, you know, based on air quality, based on whether the smoke's contributing to that bare, bad air quality. And you got sort of two things going on with what smoke and other things can be particles, but you also have ozone that factors into air quality. And when it's hot like this, both of those metrics sort of intensify. I mean, it's, you know, I've learned a lot just in <laughs> reporting this about why things can be so intense, uh, especially in urban areas like we're in. And, um, but that's the best guess of a lot of the, you know, people who follow this stuff, these sort of air quality metric, uh, meteorologists are just thinking that, uh, you know, again, it, the, I guess in some ways you could think of, uh, I bet there are some parallels to the way the LA and places like Denver hold sure. smog, hold poor air quality. And, you know, maybe there's a little of that going on, and now we've got extreme heat too, which amplifies things. So, but I agree with you, Mike. Yeah, people are thinking hard. Think of all the stories we've done around staying cool. Yeah, you know, devices. We've done some things sort of in a lighthearted nature, like here's some personal devices you can use. But if you recreate, like you're saying, you go running, 
cycling, paddling, just walking, hiking. You've, you've got to be mindful about these things before heading out. Even you might even think, Hey, I'm in great shape. And I don't, you know, the air quality isn't a threat to me today, but uh, the heat's adding a whole nother layer. And yeah, it's a, and you're right. It does feel more intense. You know, there's a lot of us in the Metro, you know, doing things We're yeah. we're an outdoors kind of crowd. And uh, yeah, you just got to pick your spots. Well, fortunately, it seems like Thursday was maybe the, for now, at least, and when August is still to come, but for now, it seems like that was the the hottest of a, a really like intense three or four day hot stretch. And now we get kind of more into regular, you know, summer, you know, nice heat, more like the eighties and, you know, things that people mm-hmm. can tolerate a little bit better, but, um, but it certainly has had an impact on water temperatures too. And our, our, you know, longtime outdoors writer, Dennis Anderson had a really interesting look at that and just how, when it's when it gets this hot, it's you know in a lot of places he had a few people he talked to like it's it's too hot to fish some places because it's a danger to the fish. Yeah, I, I thought well, first of all, Dennis, you know, on top of you know thinking about these things in a deeper way, I I don't recall us. We've certainly talked about water ch- temperature and how climate is affecting water temperature, and it's affecting all sorts of things in an ecosystem, fish included, but. Uh, to write about an activity that is like uh, so central to being Minnesotan in many ways, even if you don't, your family does, or you get sit, you know, on and on and on. But yeah, the notion of it being too hot to fish. But yeah, there's certain, you know, Dennis talked to um, you know some hardcore musty anglers and um, uh, people at bait shops and you know noted guides talking about how look at you know when the water gets to a certain temperature you can have what's called delayed mortality with some of these fish so you might you might think you're doing everything right i've caught it you know i've released it quickly you know in the in the context of catch and release and responsible fishing and these fish caught you know that warm water have a harder time recovering and you know you could you could have a fish dying after its release. You think it's in good shape and it, and it isn't the case. So um, yeah, it's a pretty provocative topic and it's right on point with what we're, you know, experiencing here. But the no, the notion that we might have to think more about that if, if things are headed to certainly the way they are seemingly to be headed with, with, with climate warming. Uh, wow. I mean, you know, I don't, I can't foresee us ever getting around the days of you can't fish the water temperature surface is too warm today or somebody's truly monitoring that day in and day out, but it's a pretty, pretty heavy topic. Yeah, it, it is. And I feel like I've only heard about this more, you know, the danger to fish and ecosystems in the context of, you know, rising ocean temperatures, things like that, which, which makes yeah. sense. And it's probably over a more prolonged period. I mean, here you get, you know, it's warm for it's probably you know warm enough to to raise those to dangerous levels for only a little bit of the year and then obviously they're going to freeze at some point and it's a much different issue but just to think about that and how not just even during fishing but just like when the water temperature gets to be like 80 degrees like it is in some of these places when the air temperature is in the 90s for long enough how it stresses the fishes just in general like even if you're not fishing yeah. it's a, it's a stress to those ecosystems yeah, yeah, it's gonna, you know, the warm water. We've had certainly things about like algae blooms and bacteria. Right. I think, you know, think of that what that does to like water health. So you got fish, fish and other creature, you know, other things in the in that water ecosystem struggling. Just yeah, just existing. Um, you know, and back to that topic of like, oh, okay, so how does it affect me personally as an angler? Uh, Dennis had a really good point about you know the DNR, where all the you know sort of cautions and you know DNRs people 
you know, fisheries people, fisheries experts, you know, talking about this topic, you know, the DNR also authorizes, you know, 300 fishing tournaments a year. So think about, think about that possible impact. If you're, if you partake in, you know, in one of those, these things that are sort of central to some of these communities. And suddenly it's like, you know what, this is a bad time of year to have that tournament uh, given the weather. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of sort of layers to this sort of topic for sure. Final thing for you, Bob. This was maybe a little bit, a uh, little bit removed now, but something you wrote about last week. These uh, <clears throat> Minnesota paddlers, Scott Miller, and the dash down the Mississippi River. What it's a twenty three hundred miles in seventeen days, <laughs> and they did this journey in in May. Tell me a little bit more about that. We can we can end with something that's maybe not uh, not as not as heavy. Something more more of of the uh, on the accomplishment side. That sounds good. Yeah, Scott's a Scott's a really interesting guy. Like all in on the paddling. And uh, yeah, my story last week was about um, they finally got Scott and his uh, three other, you know, hardcore paddlers that he pulled into his team, uh, got the official word word from Guinness that they do, in fact, have the record for fastest paddle, fastest row, they call it in Guinness terms, but fastest, fastest to get down the Mississippi in in one uh, attempt. And um, so, you know, there was a lot of... It, a lot of vetting of records, you know, daily logs, video, you know, uh, witness statements and things. Cause there were, there were some, you know, you can imagine the challenges doing it in 17 days. They had a period sure. where they were trying, trying to get into a lock near Davenport, Iowa and started drifting toward the dam while they waited <laughs> to get a slot yeah. and had to be pulled back, uh, out of the fast current by their safety boat. Cause they always had a, a safety boat with them, uh, most of the trip where they could, you know, below, below uh, certain areas of the river. But um, yeah, there was some dicey moments, things also that had to be vetted. Is that fair to be helped, you know, in that instance? And it was, but yeah, so they got the official word. It's still a remarkable <laughs> test of endurance. And it just speaks, you know, Mike, you and I have talked about these sort of uh, sure. marathon sorts of activities. And um, I'm sure there'll be, you know, if Scott's not cooking up some other attempt, uh, somebody else will be attempting it either in, as a tandem or solo or who knows what in the in the years to come. But again, the sort of niche ultra endurance paddling crowd is just sort of a fascinating, cool thing. Well, and that's like you're covering more than 100 miles in a day. Like, that just still blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. They had they usually they wanted to have three paddles in the water, you know, literally 24 seven. They would take. The occasional 10 minute break, you know, um, to use a biffy, <laughs> those yeah, sorts right. of things. But, and then people, and then one of the paddlers was usually, tr- you know, trying to catch sleep, but yeah, it was all about momentum. Uh, you know, they had a gr- this amazing support team, rolling support team with food and, you know, like I said, boat support logistics. And so, you know, it didn't get, it wasn't like four guys alone with a couple coolers. You sure, know, right. Right. Yeah. But, 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 uh, it was impressive, you know, to pull something like that off and a lot of blisters. I can only imagine, uh, you know, they're between the sleep deprivation and things like that, but, uh, pretty, pretty cool, pretty cool feat. Absolutely. I appreciate stories like that. And the ones you guys are working on, like I said, that we've talked about already with, the impact of smoke, impact of, of you know heat on on the lakes this year. That the breadth of outdoor coverage in the Star Tribune is tremendous. I, I encourage you to go read all of our outdoors coverage, um, and and please follow all of our writers. Bob Timmons, appreciate the time as always, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thanks, Rambal. Thanks for having me on.
Good stuff from Bob Timmons, as always. Hope you guys appreciated a little diversion, a little break from all the uh, all the ball sports, all the talk about the teams right now. A little bit of a different segment, but I hope you did enjoy that. With that in mind, let's finish with the cooler. Back to uh, back to more of the traditional stuff we cover. Logan Cooley, uh, Gophers hockey star, sounded like he was going to be sticking around for his sophomore season. A big part of some optimism for the team next year. Now he's leaving. He's going to the NHL's uh, Arizona Coyotes, a team that drafted him number three overall last year. He had a change of heart, decided he is going to head out there and start his pro career. Maybe not a a shock. It was more surprising that he stayed, not so surprising that he's going to go. Um, And he said, over the past months, I've realized that deep down, I feel ready for the challenge of playing at the highest level in the world. And I want to fulfill my lifelong dream of being an NHL player. Um, <clears throat> can't begrudge him that. It's just a tough time to probably find that out for the Gophers. But you know what? Better now than three months from now, I guess. But tough break for the Gophers. They still got a ton of great players coming in, a lot of good players coming back. But Logan Cooley would have been a difference maker for this year's team instead heading to the pros and the Coyotes. That'll do it for me today. Hope you enjoyed all of this week's shows. If you missed any, go back and listen to them. Listen to them all in their full splendor. Um, We'll be back at it next week with a lot of good shows as well, including Monday with Royce, uh, probably Randy Johnson, like I said, on Tuesday to talk more Gopher football. Until then, have a great weekend. Back at it again in a few days.